agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hugs the government love. The government hugs the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this morning? I am as uh, in charge as Joe Biden driving an 18-wheeler. Oh, geez, that's... uh... (laughs) Okay, I'll go with that. I, I, I don't know whether you followed that story at all. No, you know, I... I uh, See, mainstream media doesn't report it, but... Yeah, well, you know... It's d- fun. Look it up. I, 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 def- I definitely will. Okay, well, hey, you know, before we get going today, just a quick announcement. Uh, sometime soon, we're going to be rolling out a new logo for the podcast. It will still be the politics guys, but in place of the caricatures of Trey and myself and Kristen, you'll see a map of the United States with the states in red or blue, kind of reflective, well, of the 2020 presidential vote. And also, I think, generally speaking, the underlying partisan divisions in the country. And the reason for this, a couple things. Number one, Trey's connection to the Republican Party isn't nearly as strong as it used to be. And so seeing him in that big red, don't say, yeah, Republican LFA, he didn't leave the party. The party left him. I know the feeling, <laughs> Trey. Um, but anyway, that doesn't seem quite right anymore. And Kristen's on kind of an indefinite hiatus from the podcast. And, you know, and, and obviously the, the caricature cover left out, you know, UJ and, and Ken. And that I was, know. and that was, that was nothing personal. That was just, we tried to fit in more and it didn't quite work visually. So we're going with this. Uh, actually, I, I should mention on our Discord. I've uh, often been told I don't quite work visually. <laughs> yeah, I hear that myself too. But, you know, I, uh, just a couple of days ago, or, or yesterday on our Discord, a listener, uh, BB posted a thing with uh, our faces, our four faces, myself. Trey, uh, you, and Ken on Mount Rushmore. And it was a beautiful, stirring sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't checked out the Discord, it's worth it for that alone. Uh, I, I, I really loved that, actually. And he was kind enough not to put me in Jefferson's place, so I was grateful for that. Anyway, um, so uh, today we are going to be talking about the uh, government shutdown that was averted, uh, oral arguments in the Mississippi abortion case, the uh, NLRB calling for a new unionization vote for an Amazon plant, a whole bunch of stuff about redistricting. We'll get into how privileged exactly I am. It's kind of a continuation from a conversation we just started the week before and uh, some other stuff as well. But before we get to that, we will just take a quick break and we will come back and get started. Okay, so on Thursday, Congress averted a government shutdown by approving a continuing resolution that will fund government operations until February 18th, as well as providing $7 billion for resettlement of Afghan refugees. Vote in the House was 221 to 212, with only one Republican, or I guess Rhino, Adam Kinzinger, voting with House Democrats to approve the measure. Now, in the Senate, there was actually some real bipartisanship. The vote was 69 to 28, with 19 Republicans joining all 50 Democrats in approving the measure. And uh, Senate approval came after the Senate voted down an amendment that would defund 
federal vaccine mandates. And, you know, while most, if not all, of the Senate Republican caucus opposes those mandates, I think uh, Minority Leader McConnell expressed the view of the Senate Republicans voting for the CR, saying that a shutdown would only create chaos and uncertainty. So I don't think that's the best vehicle to get this job done. And next up, we have the debt ceiling limit, which Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says should be reached around December 15th. So, Jay, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, if you thought there were any surprises here, and and also if you expect a, relatively speaking, similarly easy resolution on the debt ceiling vote. So, no, I would say no surprises on this. Um, uh, You know, the CR has become sort of the way we, we govern. Right. Um, these used to be sort of these uh, apocalyptic sort of, you know, cliffs that were going to fall off. And, and uh, but it, it's it's just that's kind of we, we uh, tend to kick the can down the road. Um, so, no, no big surprises. Uh, and I think Republicans rightfully, uh, you know, do the math and government shutdowns uh, do not favor Republicans politically. Um, regardless of where you are in the substance of them and saying chaos ensues and so forth. But um, yeah, I, so I, I, I'm not surprised by that. On the debt ceiling, I, I, would, I would hope for more pushback uh, on this. I, I, I anticipate that there, there will be a, an agreement on debt ceiling. We're not going to default. Um, but I would expect and I would hope that McConnell would maybe take a little tougher line on on th- this time than they did last time um, for all the reasons I said last time, right? This is a, um, you know, and I guess it depends on on where the numbers are and, and who has the votes where. But, uh, you know, last time the, the Democrats didn't really have the votes and uh, the Republicans bailed them out. Um, so I, I think that'll happen again, but um, I'd, I'd like to be able to get something for it or at least, um, Again, and I'm I'm not talking, you know, big policy stuff, but uh, um, more just sort of some some credit where credit is due, um, or or playing the game, if you will. So it, it you can sounds, you can say that's kind of shallow of me, but I I think it's it's sure, just being uh, realistic. I'll say it's shallow of you, but <laughs> <laughs> but 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 so it sounds like you're saying that you're you're pretty much well. I wonder if you're not you're not necessarily saying that you're okay with the politics of hostage taking, as it's been called, and you don't necessarily. This is my charitable interpretation. You're you're not necessarily saying that you think it's a good thing to basically dangle the possibility of a government default over it. But if it's going to be dangled, and if that's the political reality, then Republicans should milk it for all it's worth. I'm I'm saying that um, if if the party in power. Uh, needs a big favor uh, to avert a a political disaster. Uh, they ought to ask nicely, um, and uh, uh, sort of like when you when you show up uh, for somebody at somebody's house for the holidays, it's nice to bring a gift, even just a small token. So, what's the favor exactly? We're saying, would you please make sure that the United States doesn't default on its debt? That's a favor. I would think that that's sort of a baseline responsibility. If you of have, if of you have, yes, it, it is a favor. If you're, if you're the, uh, if you have the nominal majority in both houses uh, and you have the presidency, then yes, it is so, because the the party of power is supposed to govern. So, so, so it sounds like you uh, said. I mean, to me, the analogy would be like, well, if you know, you have two people, uh, 
careening down and going, going ready to go off a cliff and both of them need to step on a brake to stop it, then you're saying one person needs to, st- to turn the other and say, hey, could you, would you mind please, you know, stepping on your brake a- as well so we don't go off the cliff? I, you know, I find that. No, I, no, I, I, I think the, that, no, the, the, the analogy is, is pretty close to that, but it, it's sort of the, the, you know, one guy's driving, right? Uh, the one person has, uh, you know, is, is in charge of the car nominally. Uh, and they're asking the passenger to pull the emergency brake, if you will. So they both don't go off the cliff and die. Yeah. So would you yeah. please do that? That would be, I would so appreciate it if you would do well, that. Well, I think they also go off the cliff and die is, I think that might be. Go off the cliff and are horribly you know, injured. Mike, in, all, in all my experience, there is, if you're, if you're going to govern, you need to be able to have the votes. And if sure. you've got a majority but you can't pull together your majority for something like this, that says something. Yeah, and, and actually, um, they, they do have a majority on this, and, and uh, Mitch McConnell has sort of at least hinted that while he certainly won't work to help provide the Democrats with any Republican votes, he suggested that he might try to convince his caucus not to filibuster a debt ceiling yeah. Uh, uh, suspension. Yeah. And so I think that's, uh, that's I think that would be silly. mighty big of them. You know, so yeah, I think I, that would be, be very silly. Yeah. And so um, in that sense, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they ought to do something like that or sure. that there ought to be a, you ought to whip the vote uh, against it. Yeah. Um, and, but and, I, you know, like I said, I, I felt sort of, let's say just let down uh, by uh, the, the last debt ceiling vote. And then also the, um, um, you know, the infrastructure vote where you had Republicans in the House uh, who had to bail out Nancy Pelosi because she didn't have the votes. Um, so I, I, I again, I'm not I'm not expecting anything big, but I, I would expect just a little bit more of a dust dust up, a little bit more of pushback, a little bit more of just a because, um, look, this is you can say this is juvenile, you can say it's shallow, but this is the game as it's as it's played. Right. Um, it's just a little bit like, you know, in, in football, and he, all these people are are you know highly paid, uh, greatest athletes on in the in the world, but there's always those like little moments where you know like they're they're um, uh, you know the the plays <laughs> plays dead and you know they they sort of like try to get the spot just like a little bit better, just a couple inches uh, over from what it was, you know what I mean? That that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and I guess, uh, I, and, and I guess that, that's, that's part I, of the game. I get right? what you're that's saying, and I get what you're saying, and that's certainly the reality. But what I think is so disheartening to to me and to a lot of Americans is the fact that that's that's how it's seen in its entirety by so many people as as simply a game. And the fact of the matter is, is there are very real stakes. It's not like yeah. football or soccer or something like that. This is serious business with major ramifications, life or death in many cases, ramifications. And I think a lot of folks find it disgusting that it's so entirely treated as a game of we win, you lose, sort of zero sum sort of thing. I find that I find that personally disgusting. And the fact that so many people just, yeah, that's just the game. Oh, well, I, it just turns my stomach. Oh, well, I, I'm saying when you have government that is is close to 50-50 divided mm-hmm. is 50-50 in the senate there there's something to be said uh about um 
being sort of a little bit of respectful to the other folks whose help you may need. Um, and I think that's that's what I'm trying to say is. Um, gotcha. <laughs> there's so often there's. If you if you, you know, just say, oh, OK, we'll let you, you, you know, do what whatever. And and uh, it's it's not on you, uh, governing party um, or, or, or 50, uh, you know, plus one tiebreaker. Um, uh, you're, you're, you're sort of abdicating what you owe to, to your constituents as well, right? Um, if you want to have a government that, uh, compromise and, 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 uh, uh, in these kind of cases, right? I think you should, but you've got a, um, situation where, where one side is, um, has a, has a very slim majority, uh, and, and is sort of, not saying, hey, we'd like to, to you know, um, work across the aisle in a bipartisan fashion to make sure that uh, we don't default uh, and, and therefore we'll recognize some of your concerns or at least thank you for your efforts, um, efforts? in doing so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, well, thank no, you for I mean, not plunging the country into chaos. Right? We thank really appreciate it. In doing so. Very big of as, you. As opposed to we yeah. demand that, that you, know, you, you vote with us and, and uh, save our skin. Yeah, look, and there, I, there are I, no I demands be being made. It would be disastrous made. for everyone, yeah. you know. I, uh, yeah. But it would be more disastrous for Democrats. Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I understand this is just your sort of Machiavellian political, cynical kind of gamesmanship sort of analysis of it. And I, I mean, I, and people, I get that. people tune into us to hear what what's real, right? And it won't and part. That's no, I I, to, that's I, what I try to bring. Well, yeah, and, and you definitely bring that. I, I think, but I also think people tune in to hear what's right. Uh, and and certainly that's what I think I like to I like to think that I bring well, is I can talk not, about not I, I like to think that I talk about what's real, but but I think also that it's important to pull back from that cynical sort of politics is a game sort of thing and say, wait a second, what's the right thing to do here? Because to the extent that we forget about that and we make politics just simply a game with ugly or less athletic players, well then, you know, we we debase and devalue our democracy and turn it into a joke and and i'm not okay with that and i don't think anyone should so this be. is this is where this is where one of these you and i have kind of just fundamentally different visions about yeah definitely. i guess our role and, and what we can do absolutely um, absolutely i i see myself more as i uh am an, an observer and a commentator um like somebody watching, you know, like a commentator on a football game saying, look, here's what's going on. Um, uh, rather than saying, wow, I wish they, um, I wish they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't try to get away with that. The sneaky kind of holds, you know what I mean? And, and you come, sometimes the ref doesn't see them, but, um, you know, I, I've tried to point out what is actually going on as, as someone who has played the game to some extent. Um, what's going on uh, in the trenches and uh, and what to expect from that and and i think there's um, i think there's absolutely value to that but i think that that without the sort of broader look at well what how should the rules be and how can the game be better that sort of more idealistic look then it becomes just a, a sterile exercise in cynicism and just like i think that the idealism without the realism is becomes this kind of divorced from reality thing and so that's why i think it's important to have to consider both sides uh, of these things and so i i certainly don't think that well I won't put words in your mouth. I don't imagine that you you just think that uh, 
political idealism of any sort is, is pointless and worthless. No, certainly not. Okay. Okay. I just wanted um, to be but clear on I'm, that. If you're asking me what I think is going to happen sure. uh, in the Senate in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, yeah, and I get that. You know, I, on that kind of same level, I guess in a way, one one thing I wanted to point out, or uh, one thing I've noted about this vote and some other votes is uh, uh, Ben Sass, who I, you know, there was a there was a point there, especially after January sixth, or and you know, Ben Sass seemed to be to be like sort of a a, a Republican I could almost see myself supporting in some instances, and yet. Sass voted against this. He's voted against. In fact, he's one of the more actually anti. If you if you measure voting with or against, you know, President President Biden. If you look at the team sort of thing, one of the more anti Biden Republicans in the Senate. And it seems to me to be so at odds with sort of the message he's crafting. And I guess you know it's part of the whole. Ben Sass wants to be the next president. I would expect and kind of carving out a lane for himself. But it's the it's the it's the part of politics that I get. And you know you. You talk about this, obviously, but it's just it's just just bums me out. I guess I've always been more of an idealist than you, though, and I guess that's why this stuff affects me a lot more. You know? Yeah, I I think I think maybe and maybe it's maybe it's because um, yeah, we should like I mean we should like organize a field trip for you, right? We'll go down to the state legislature and and see if we can, like you can sit in on some uh you know caucus meetings and, and committee meetings and just sort of i because because my my oh, it sounds like you're saying i'm naive and i i i reject that i reject that okay uh, uh, i'm not naive at all jay i know how the sausage is made uh but i what i am saying is that i can understand the process i can be a realist but then i can also look back and say you know what this is not how things should be and we should try to make things better as opposed to just simply cynically saying well that's the game how much can we wring out of this how many victories can we get and you know screw the screw the results of the american public what matters if my team wins and and i just call bullshit on that so let me let me um let me paint it this way for you all right if you are a a republican senator from a whatever state uh you know a mid a, a purplish state. Sure. Um, yeah, and you're looking at this as saying, hey, um, this debt ceiling piece, uh, a lot of my folks are not going to like it because they're going to say, uh, by doing this, by not holding firm on the debt ceiling, you are essentially allowing the Democrats to rack up more debt. The whole point of putting in this debt ceiling process, which you can say it's a good process or a bad process, um, was to provide this check. On on runaway financial, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> financial spending. That's that's a bad phrase, but um, uh, on on runaway expenditures, right? That there would have to be this check at some point uh, where you open the credit card bill and say, "Geez, that's how much is that's how much I've I've run up," right? Um, and and it can be and, and should be sobering. Um, so I think if you're a Republican senator, you say, look, this is the this is the reason this is in here is for us to stop and say, wait a minute, guys, is is this is this the road we want to take? Um, yeah, and I, yeah, by yeah. simply saying we're going to agree to to increase our, our credit card limit or uh, as as maybe is more function or maybe more accurate as, as the Democrats like to phrase it. Well, we're just refinancing our current debt. Uh, we're going to expand our, our terms as far as being able to pay off what we've already borrowed. 
But then, yeah, that's not um, what the debt ceiling is fundamentally about. The debt ceiling is fundamentally yeah. about saying we're going to honor our obligations. Right. We've already incurred but, this debt, and so we will honor those. We will not default on our obligations. That sounds like a that sounds like a very kind of bedrock conservative personal responsibility. You pay your bills. Yeah, but but again, does it is it is it? Um, I guess is it is it um, bedrock conservatism? If if the reason you're you're in that position is you keep borrowing more and sure. more and, and more and, and that's, more, that's a reasonable right? conversation to have. Yeah, on, on that sort of borrowing. So I, I think a, you would be remiss if you don't stand up and say, instead of just approving this and saying, "Yep, yep, let's keep doing it," uh, and next month we'll spend more. In fact, next sure. month we'll spend three trillion. Well, yeah, and I right? think yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I don't I don't think it's unreasonable or or anti. Um, on not idea, unidealistic uh, to say this is government spending is a big problem in, in the Republican view. In my view, it, it may be the biggest problem uh, we face and and to simply roll over and, and not make a fuss when asked to by the other party, which which nominally has a majority. Um, uh, I would. I think that's. I think sure. you're, you're. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, no, yeah. yeah, that's and that's reasonable. I, I think certainly that uh, uh, that Republicans who believe that you do, and pretty much all Republicans, I think most Republicans believe what you do about government spending. That yeah, in in casting their vote, they should make it clear that they have a big problem with with levels of increasing levels of debt. So yeah, a- absolutely. I, I certainly don't think that that's the duty of the minority party to act, acquiesce and, without appeal. And, and following from that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just, I just do want to hit this because I think I've, I've found a way to phrase it correctly. Is that the Democrats, the, 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 the governing party um, in, in seeking that it's, it's not too much to ask the minority party um the minority party asked the, the governing party to say, hey, look, we will agree to pay off our current debts now. But, uh, you know, we have grave concerns about taking on um, another, you know, three trillion in spending. Perhaps you should reconsider that. And that's a separate vote. And that's, a separate that's conversation. I'm, and, and yeah. I'm not I'm not. And, and again, like I said, everybody knows at the end of the day that that ceiling is going to get extended, expanded. Um, but I think that's one important from the from an idealistic perspective, right? If you're representing the people who sent you, and representing what I think is a, a pretty valid uh, view of what the government does and ought to be doing, um, I think it's perfectly fair and correct to say, you know, hey, before I bail you out, sure, absolutely, I, um, and I, we agree on that. Yeah, definitely. So what what started off is what I thought was going to be a pretty short segment on uh, on a uh, semi-routine extension of the uh, of government funding actually turned into more of kind of an ideological idealism versus realism sort of right. theory. We'll figure, you know, we never know what's going to yeah. happen here. It's very, but anyway, yeah. why, why don't we, why don't we move on to talk about, uh, I think that the story that a lot of folks are really focused on more than anything else this week, the uh, oral arguments in the Mississippi abortion law case before the Supreme Court this week. But before we do that, we'll just take a quick break and be right back with that. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. 
which involves the constitutionality of Mississippi's 2018 enacted abortion law that prohibits all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, with no exception for rape or incest, and only highly limited exceptions being for medical emergencies or for severe fetal abnormality. Now, based on what the justices had to say in Wednesday's uh, oral argument, it seems nearly certain that they'll be making significant changes to the constitutional status of abortion laws. And there appear to be, I would say, six votes to uphold the Mississippi law, which flatly contradicts the previous standard that prohibits abortion bans prior to viability, which is generally viewed to be around 24 weeks. It also seems to me that there are likely five votes to overturn the central holding in Roe versus Wade, and that is that there exists a constitutional right for a woman to enter pregnancy and that the state's interest, uh, namely the interest in the potential life, but also the protecting the mother's health, that those don't outweigh the woman's privacy and personal liberty interest until later in the pregnancy. Now, in Roe, that was initially that trimester framework, but that was modified to the pre-post-viability standard in uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So, I think, Jay, that we can sort of break this issue down into a few uh, component parts because there's a lot going on here. And and first, I think, is the politics of the thing, you know, how the court's likely to rule, what the ramifications of that ruling might be. And, and that, to me, it seems like that's where the vast majority of the coverage in the media is focused on. And I thought, well, we could we could kind of start with that. So. Uh, starting with that, would, would you agree, I guess, initially with my assessment about what the court is likely to do and where, you know, you see the votes kind of falling out on this? Uh, probably. Um, I, I would agree. I think that the Mississippi law is likely to get upheld. Um, I'm, I'm less certain on how they get there and whether that entails a wholesale overruling of Rowan Casey. Uh, or or something in between. The sense is, is very much that, I mean, and again, you don't have to be some sort of really seasoned Supreme Court watcher to to look at this. Is that um, Roberts, you know, wants is would would rather have some sort of compromise that would not uh, entail the the wholesale overruling, or it would be some sort of incremental uh, overruling. Uh, I'm not sure how exactly you get there, but these are a whole lot of really smart people um, thinking about this. So there, there may be a way to to do it. Um, but you, you would agree I mean, that's that my, that's my initial, yeah. yeah. But you would agree that uh, essentially there's there's basically no way that that 24 week standard that was that viability standard that was set in in Casey that that goes away or at least it's modified down to I, or or at least i mean one you know one way to to do it and this would be sort of you know you one one could argue well um Casey didn't really you know draw that sort of a a, a you know black line uh, and this this does not present an undue burden, even though it is pre-viability. Now, that would be kind of a, a, a sort of overruling undermining of Casey, right? Because in Casey, there's sort of a presumption that uh, anything pre-vi- pre-viability uh, would be an undue burden. Um, that's, one, that's one route that the court might take, right? Um, and it's not, again, that's, that's the more political route. I, I don't know that it's it's uh, 
but the, intellectually yeah. defensible the, entirely. The, right? But the bottom the bottom line is that come come June when the court rules on this, it's going to be it's they're going to issue a ruling that will make it possible for a bunch of states to put restrictions on a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy that would not have been possible prior to that ruling. I, I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so as I think everyone pretty much assumed that it's just a question of how, how broad those uh, restrictions will be allowed to be. But so that's going to be almost certainly the part of the ruling. So then the question is, well, what will the political fallout for that be? You know, a, a lot of folks yeah. think, well, this is going to because this is going to come out, of course, in in early summer. And that's right before the midterm election season kind of gets heated up. And there are some people, I think, on the on the left who are thinking, maybe wishfully thinking that, well, uh, this at least given that the inevitability of this ruling, at the very least, this should galvanize Democratic constituencies and perhaps minimize or even uh, uh, eliminate, not minimize to, to a certain extent, the possibility of major Democratic midterm losses in in the uh, in the House and Senate. Well, what do you think about that in terms of political ramifications? Mm, I mean, maybe it fires up the base some, but my sense is that part of the base is already fired up. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's not. That's not the, the the problem that Democrats have uh, coming into the midterms. Uh, isn't that uh, it's not getting its its uh, pro-choice people to the polls? The problem is it's not appealing to um, um, moderates and uh, independents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, is is there does does it bump the enthusiasm a little bit? Uh, sure. Um, but I I don't. I don't think it fundamentally changes the numbers, right? I, I, I still think, um, you know, as James Carville famously said, it's the economy stupid, right? And and for most for most voters, um this is this is a secondary issue. And for those voters that this is a primary issue, uh they 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 are where they are and they're not they're not changing. And, and you could also get, I mean, uh, sort of an offsetting bump um for pro life Republicans. Well, uh, I, I, who, who, I, who might yeah. say who might say finally you know we're getting somewhere yeah i i, um, I don't know about that because generally so, speaking when you're satisfied with how things are going you're less likely to get worked up and, and i think the you know what people look back and they say well the initial ruling roe versus wade sort of galvanized created this sort of pro pro-life political movement but that was a very different political era you know and i think we're already so broken up into these warring camps that i agree with you that there might be a a slight surge in terms of democrat support but it's going to be i don't think it's going to be enough to make a, a significant difference certainly not enough to i think uh, allow the democrats to hold the, the house or, may, or maybe even in the senate so so yeah I, I tend to agree with you on the politics of this sort of thing the, the, the more the, the more important piece of this to me and and quite honestly i've you know i've always thought this is the more important piece is Look, this should make a bigger difference, and it should make a bigger difference in um, state races, right? I mean, this is this would allow. I mean, if if um, if there's say a, a complete overrule, um, this allows uh, people running for the state legislature to campaign saying, 
here's here's what I do. Here's what I want our state's abortion policy to be. Um, and uh, voters come out and support me or don't. Uh, yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think that's that's the healthier impulse, right? That's the healthier way to get this sorted out. Um, as you've pointed out, there are a number of states that have trigger laws one way or the other. Uh, some triggering that uh, abortion will become, um, uh, you know, prohibited upon the overruling of Roe versus Wade. Others um, indicating that Roe versus Wade is is overruled, then uh, you know the state will automatically adopt a "Hey, abortions for everybody all the time" uh, rule. Uh, and and from a federalist standpoint, from a constitutional standpoint, I I think that's probably the the right result. And and there's going to be some turmoil there, but. No, you no, know, I, I think that's yeah. that's that's fundamentally what uh, what overturning Roe versus Wade would mean and has always meant. But right? it, it, but well, it goes well, back to the states. Yes and no, because it's certainly possible for Congress to, to pass a law. In fact, the House has, I think, repeatedly passed a measure that would essentially uh, put the the standard mentioned or decided on in Casey, basically enshrined that into into law. And uh, into a federal civil right, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so that that's, you know, that's gotten through the House a number of times. There have never been the votes in the Senate and there, there aren't now. And certainly you could see that making that more of a more of a live a live issue. Uh, and uh, but again, I, I just don't see it. And I think I'd, I'd say there's but there's a constitutional question on that as well, I think. But. Well, That's well for another yeah. Day. Now, yeah, and the, the argument on that is that certainly the uh, differing abortion standards in differing states there that that absolutely implicates interstate commerce, and so therefore under its I, commerce I would clause, say uh, 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 conception is a purely intrastate activity. Well, provision of abortion <laughs> services, though, especially when people are crossing straight state lines to get them, that actually is uh, interstate. So you're uh, right. No, I, I get it, but I'm I'm just saying that's. There's a there's a question there. There would there would definitely be a a challenge. To oh yeah. Federal. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm I'm not yeah. that that's gonna ha- not that that's gonna happen unless something totally bizarre happens. because I don't even know that you know. Well, I, there are barely the votes in the House to get that passed, and that uh, but in the Senate, there's just no way that that happens. And it's not like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are going to say, "Hey, you know what? Let's abolish the filibuster for so we can pass uh, abortion rights legislation." That's uh, yeah, that's yeah. some other world, basically. Unfortunately, so. So, yeah. But, you know, uh, so it seems like we agree largely on the politics, but it seems to me uh, that there are also the more fundamental issues of what the Constitution actually says here and how the court should interpret it. And what I noticed in the coverage this week is that that's actually gotten a lot or very little coverage, actually. It seems to me like everyone has their preferred side. And so, for instance, if you think that women should have the right to terminate a pregnancy, you just assume the Constitution supports your preferred policy outcome. And the same way, you know, if you're on the opposite side of thing. And that, without actually, you know, going back to the Constitution and and looking at it and thinking about it. And we've talked about this before, Jay, this this idea that, well, we're just going to start from our preferred policy outcome and read whatever we want and into the Constitution. That drives me just right. absolutely. If there's something I like, it must be in the Constitution. You know, yeah, because yeah. all constitutional means is that something I really like. And if it's unconstitutional, it just means something I really don't like. And that's just, well, anyway, that's that's one of my particular hobby horses. And so I wanted to 
move on to uh, uh, move on to that uh, next. But I think that's uh, that's kind of where we'll end our preview, our free ad supported preview show, and then kind of start off our full listener uh, listener supported Patreon show with that. So if you are not yet find out what happened, yeah, exactly. Find, find out happened. what happens. You know, we're going to be talking about that and that Amazon unionization vote and redistricting gerrymandering and my privilege or if I have privilege or not anyway, a uh, whole bunch of stuff. So if you want to, if you want to check that out, it's patreon.com slash politics guys, sign up, become a supporter to get the full length, uh, no ads episode every single week. And again, as always, if you're not in a position to be able to financially support the show, I, I'm, we're happy to provide that to you for free. Just send me an email, Mike at politicsguys.com, and we will get you all set up with that. Also, I should mention that if for whatever reason you're not a big fan of Patreon, you can also support us on PayPal as well as on Venmo where we're at Politics Guys. You can always find support links in our show notes and at politicsguys.com slash support.